Hi, and welcome to this special VFX show. We are looking at the Oscar nominees for the Oscars 95s, and I'm joined by Matt Wallen and Jason Diamond. Matt, how are you? Welcome to... Um, uh, 23 <laughs> yeah i know it's the new the new year uh no i'm doing i'm doing good keeping busy this is the first podcast of the new year and i don't know i've just got back from holiday so everything seems like it's good to me i, I you, believe it is you good jason i'm good yeah i wish i came back from holiday i had covid over the holiday so that was my uh Mate, that, i'm so sorry time. to hear that i had uh hawaii mexico los angeles including being there Segway for the uh, Bake Off for the uh, the uh, Visual Effects Oscars. Yeah, which was terrific. Oh, yeah, I saw glamorous photographs of your journey around the globe. It mm -hmm. looked like a heck of a terrible time. Yes. Well, I got to uh, <laughs> I got to hang out with uh, with John Montgomery, which was brilliant in Mexico. So that was like a terrific thing. That's oh, obviously yeah. hadn't been traveling because of COVID. Hey, so um, I went to the mm -hmm. Bake Off uh, in LA at the Academy uh, Theater, and there were ten films up for grabs. All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, Black Panther, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, a the latest Fantastic Beast, the latest Jurassic World, Nope, 13 Lives, Top Gun Maverick, and of course Avatar The Way of Water, the uh, blockbuster multi-billion dollar um, epic that's currently flying. So yeah. of those, I think it was a pretty easy guess that Avatar was going to make it into the uh, top five. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any opinions on the others? I'm guessing, Matt, you might have had had a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a bet on Nope. Is that right? Would you yeah, def that was definitely one that would, would have been in my uh, top, top pick. Well, as it turned out, uh, the five films that are in contention for uh, the visual effects Oscar is All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Batman, Black Panther, and Top Gun Maverick. So, <laughs> okay, so the ones that didn't make it, um, I will say some of them did spectacularly good work. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt Nope had the most original creature design uh, we've seen in ages. Um, and mm -hmm. I found 13 lives to be incredibly visceral. But unfortunately, those teams didn't make it. But we're here to discuss those five teams that did. Um, and uh, I've got to say, as I published on FX Guide uh, yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, um, what a year for Weta. Weta um, scored yeah. extraordinarily well. Uh, three of the five nominated films had Weta people on them, and six uh actual names or, or individuals have been nominated uh, in across Avatar and uh, the Batman and uh, Wakanda. So, yeah, ILM had a couple. Uh, they had uh, some work they did on Avatar, but in terms of uh, actual nominees, they had... Uh, Black Panther. Black Panther, yes. And the Batman. Did they have another one, I think? Mm -hmm. And the Batman, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So considering, of course, that uh, quite often there's a VFX supervisor who is not attached to a particular effects house as listed and special effects, uh, and you can only have four names on any uh, award nomination list, yeah, that's a, that's a heck of an achievement by Weta. I mean, that really is incredible. It was also, I would say to you guys, the year of water, <laughs> because there was a lot of water mm -hmm. uh, both in the Bake Off yeah. and the final set. But um, but. Jason, what was your impression of these, uh, this list? Is it a good representation of the work of the uh, last year? Um, 
I would just piggyback quickly off your comment about water, because I think we all agree, typically ILM gets the water awards for a while and Weta gets the forest awards, it seems like, or did for a <laughs> minute. Uh, but everybody's, you know, games are changing. I think I'd agree with Mike, uh, Mark, jeez, uh, with Matt. Uh, <laughs> uh, early brain fog, yeah, sorry. I'd agree with Matt on uh, Nope. Uh, should have been in the call there. Um, I have to admit, I have not seen Wakanda Forever or All Quiet on the Western Front. I did see the first Black Panther, so not saying this to be um, in a disingenuous way, but I feel like I could at least have an outlook on the visual effects in Wakanda Forever because it's an extension of the first one. Uh, great work in the first one. So I'm assuming great work in the second one. All Quiet in the Western Front, I would apply my uh, Dunkirk slash 1917 brain to and assume that the work is also stellar. I've heard the movie is incredible. Uh, so um, seems reasonable. I think probably uh, Maverick could probably get swapped out for Nope in my in my book, although it could also be Wakanda um, maybe swapped out for Nope. Um, I certainly have, I think, I wouldn't say favorite from a film standpoint, but favorite from a visual effects standpoint, who I think uh, deserves to be there. And, and I believe who will win. I won't say that yet, but unless Matt, you want to. What do you think of the top five? I mean, I think, you know, it's a great spread. I mean, I actually think it's a, it's a good choice of five films. Uh, it's kind of cool. I, I realize now, like, I, I mean, I, not, I, sh I shouldn't say I realized now. I realized a long time ago. I am officially one of the uh, old guys in the industry when there are five names uh, that are nominated that are people that I know, which is really cool. <laughs> so it just, uh, awesome. you know, uh, and that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this it's a good spread. You know, Avatar is really like the juggernaut. It's totally off the charts, crazy, huge movie with all kinds of really mm -hmm. innovative work in it. Um, I think, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front and Top Gun Maverick really are sort of looking for those kind of more invisible effects, maybe, you know, I think by and large. Mm -hmm. um, Wakanda Forever has got a lot of really interesting water work as well, uh, in keeping with that kind of theme. And then the Batman, you know, I think uh, certainly a unique uh, aesthetic and look and approach to that character and uh, one of the things I know we talked about uh, was the use of the virtual stage, right? In the that one key mm -hmm. scene and the building and the sunset and stuff. And so I think this is a really great spread and you've got a really interesting, um, you know, kind of set of types of visual effects of, you know, different genres of films. And I think it makes for a pretty exciting and competitive race, although I think they're likely will be a clear-cut winner here, but we'll see. All Quite on the Western mm -hmm. Front is just an unusual film in so far as it's not an English language, you know, native kind of film, right? Like, I mean, all the others are, you know, obviously connected to either franchises or sequels, you know? Uh, and, I mean, the Batman is not strictly a sequel, I guess, but it's like effectively a sequel. It's um, a franchise, yeah. Franchise, yeah, where All Quite on the Western Front, you know, is... is uh, is really a standout in many respects there from a film point of view. But let me ask you this, and, and it's a question I, I'd like to discuss. What do you think the voting 
sort of basis is because there are two things going on here. Firstly, there's to get nominated. That's from visual effects artists, right? It's from visual effects experts. In fact, it's from academy members. So most of them are either supervisors will be nominated or people that are incredibly senior. So they're very, very technically literate. Of course, from here, the voting goes to anyone who's an academy member, which is dominated by actors. So there is a real difference between getting nominated and winning. Mm -hmm. But at this point, if I just sort of speak broadly, Jason, like if you were voting for a film, like what would be your criteria of giving out the Oscar? Like what is it that you're looking for to be the film that deserves to get an Oscar? So post Bake Off? Well, just if you were uh, voting right now. You're saying, like, well, or? Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, I, I use the same, I would use the same criteria. And I think I probably mentioned this on the numerous Oscar shows we've done uh, that I, there is, and this is not a visual effects statement. This is just a general statement about, about like um, evaluation of, of where awards should be given. There is so much subpar work in the, in the medium that when someone does a, like the job they're supposed to do, like, a, like deliver a, a fucking solid performance that, that just makes the movie work, people get nominated because there's so much work below it where those, those kind of jobs, like that should be the baseline. So when people get nominated and, or to get nominated, it has to be above what should be the baseline. This is my own personal thing and that's okay. all subjective. But so in this case, I mean, there's work that again is invisible and that has value, right? We can't say it has to be spectacle. So my, my brain would go to, okay, what's supporting the film and making the film work, right? Because we all, I think we all agree that visual effects is story um, because it's not an actor. It's not a thing. It's, it's a part of the creative vision of the director. And so it should serve the film and elevate the film where and when it's needed, which could be invisible or could be like, nope, with this incredible Roger Dean, you know, uh, monster that we haven't seen before, which is a fresh take. So I would argue, given that criteria, that nope should have been nominated, <laughs> even though we're not thinking about that right in this conversation, but, you know, given my criteria, but like something like Avatar, which matt mentioned before like that is stepping up in so many ways obviously it's part of cameron's vision and cameron is going for what he's delivering but the work and the advancement of what you're seeing is so far beyond say uh top gun which i really enjoyed and a lot of that work makes the movie work there's something and maybe because avatar is such a in-your-face you know, visual effects festival that it seems like an obvious, like, oh, it should go to that. But I guess it, Avatar for me feels like so far above in all the areas that it's pushing that if I were voting, I would vote for Avatar. And I have to say, I just saw it today. So it's not something I've been ruminating on for, for weeks or whatever. Uh, you know, we can get into each of the movies in a minute, you know, but that's sort of my personal, and I and I, I love the Batman. I think we covered that it's well worn territory in that episode. And I love the use of the virtual production. And I think Greg Frazier, which we've all agreed, is sort of currently the virtual production master in terms of being able to use it creatively 
to execute a director's vision and not just say, hey, yeah, we'll save money here, we'll save money there, but like to see it as part of the art form. Um, but all the work in all the films is, is you know, uh, that I've seen are, is great. So. so Matt, what would you be awarding an Oscar based on? Like, what are you looking forward to? I think looking for I, you a know, film to think at Oscar. I think I largely agree with Jason's assessment. I, you know, I, I maybe would just say it a little differently. Like uh, the visual effects that service the story, and uh, and and are uh, they can be very innovative. They could uh, utilize traditional uh, skills and some, you know, more or less innovative uh, techniques. But if they service the story, and what I think the key thing there is, you know, in something like uh, All Quiet on the Western Front or maybe um, the Top Gun film, they're less groundbreaking, I would think, visual effects. They're more traditional, but they service the story. But a movie like Avatar or certainly Wakanda Forever, and I think to some extent The Batman, you know, you're looking at something where these are you know, high concept movies and in conjunction with them, the effects that service a high concept narrative are oftentimes more innovative of a higher kind of technical difficulty, um, but they're still in service of the story in the same manner. Um, so it makes the calculus a little ca complicated in some ways in that I think you're looking at really two different kind of flavors in this case of, of, uh, visual effects in, in the manner in which they serve story, uh, some, yeah, just being maybe less bombastic and the ones that are really maybe more technically innovative. And that's not to say that there aren't technically innovative ones in the other films either. I'm sure there are things that they're doing too, where they're, you know, using all kinds of, uh, tools for whatever creative problem solving that's going on. But. I think that that's kind of what I, the criteria I look at is just like, is it servicing the story? Does it help yield like a cohesive, good, uh, total film, you know, in the end? I guess the only thing I would say personally, and I'm not saying I'm right, I'm just saying I know this about myself, is that I look for the film to innovate. Like I really need the visual effects to be innovative. Mm -hmm. um, because the criteria that the Academy would say is servicing the story, as you guys said, and then advancing the craft. Now that's an incredibly dubious sort of catch-all phrase. But for me, I've always thought that what we wanted out of the Oscars was an acknowledgement of a film that really like advanced the art. And the only other caveat I'd put on that is tastefully. <laughs> so I want it to be something that is innovative and does you know, new things and, and advances the art but does it tastefully in the sense that I don't want um, just a barrage of kind of effects in your face for the sake of it. And I would criticize, if I can be so bold, uh, Dr. Strange for that. In that it was just felt to me like, to use your term bombastic, um, but it definitely was, you know, like just very heavy handed in the visual effects. And so I just sort of felt like, hmm. But when it gets to advancing the craft from a technical point of view, um, you can also be pretty ruthless on some of these films because, I mean, Maverick is the interesting one for me. I don't think that Maverick deserved to be there myself. I thought that they did great work in that film, don't get me wrong. Um, I was stunned that there were 2,400 visual effects shots in the darn film, right? It seemed like an astonishingly high number. But basically it was a combination of roto and replacing things 
uh, and then doing airborne explosions. I mean, clearly the other thing that I have against Maverick is just how much they went on about it being in camera. And yeah. I just found that offensive. Um, well, that's every, that's every year. <laughs> yeah, but you can't level that criticism at Avatar, right? You can't level that criticism at Black Panther. Well, no, that's a whole, that's a whole separate, no. Yeah, but. I know, I just mean in general, there's always a movie that says, you yeah. know, we did so much in camera and you're like, no, you didn't. Just, it's cool. Just say you didn't. It's fine. Exactly. See, no, I think that the Batman did a lot in camera and did a lot with visual effects working in concert with special effects. I was actually stunned. You know, the famous shot where the car comes through the flames mm -hmm. and lands and mm -hmm. it's in the rear view mirror. Like I, I was stunned to discover they got that in camera. The only thing that they replaced in that shot, they discussed this at the Bake Off, is that the Batmobile that did the jump through the flames had this incredible suspension on it so it wouldn't shatter when it kind of landed. And so when it landed, it bounced back up too high and sat up in the air in an odd way. And so they kind of effectively cut out the Batmobile and just dropped it like, you know, dropped eight or nine it, yeah. inches and then put it back into the shot again. Now, it's not that simple. Of course, you've got to replace the flames behind and there's a ton of other stuff going on. But um, but to get that in a in, in a in camera is just unbelievable to me, right? Like the coordination of disciplines. And then the second thing I'd say about- Well, it's also the, it's also the, it, well, that was also not to interrupt, but that was also a real- French Connection-y kind of car chase film practically. And yep. then all the virtual production stage with special effects on, on the Penguin's car with, with, you know, LEDs in the back to get a bunch of reactions and other things from him that cut together seamlessly. Well, actually at the start, it was in camera. By the end, it was nearly all digital. Um, as I discovered right. yesterday, because I happened to be talking to the guys for NFXI article. So- so yeah, so um, so I think like that's a brilliant mix, as is the LED stage of practical and visual effects working together without going. We did it all in miniatures, old school, or we did it all, you know, like on location, or we didn't use, you know, real actors. <laughs> so I, I'm, you know, I applaud them saying how much they did in camera because they weren't trying to belittle the visual effects artists. They were just pointing out right. how spectacular. I mean, for an LED wall to work, you have to have visual effects working brilliantly with on 100%. set. Otherwise, the darn shot doesn't get it, right? Yeah. By, by the definition. way, on the on the LED wall front, Avatar used a bunch of LED walls, which I was less aware of. Um, all that stuff in the fiery mm. finale when they're mm -hmm. fighting on the ship. Um, and all the shots of spider in the water, all of the reflections are all coming off LED walls. Um so that makes camera, a ton of sense. Yeah, it, they didn't even discuss that at the Bake Off. Um, so yeah, so I guess that's. So I, my criticism of Maverick is like, well, you know, and then also all quite on the Western Front. I got to say, like as incredibly visceral as that film is, wasn't it just kind of adding fog and adding tanks and then adding kind of bullet hits and removing some legs and stuff? I mean, I know that's a lot of work but it's not at a technically innovative level that hits my personal criteria of advancing the art. It absolutely hits your criteria of advancing the story. Um, it was I mean, I would, incredible. I, I, I would have loved to see everything everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, make it into the Oscar noms because those visual effects serve the story and I don't know if it necessarily advanced the art per se, but 
I also think that part of the criteria is the execution. And in this case, six people doing what would normally be maybe 30, you know, uh, on a bigger movie, maybe should be taken into account. It's hard to, you know, it's like, it's hard to quantify that kind of thing. But for a movie that got 11 other Oscar nominations, part of the reason it did is because, you know, best picture and best director certainly is because of the choices they made. And the part of their vision and their choices are the vision effects that made the movie work i would back so you up on that a, i would back you up on that in this in this way i guess like i think everything everywhere all at once is something that when we talk about advancing the craft like there's a part of me that feels like well that's kind of where i feel like the scientific and technical achievement oscars are something mm -hmm. of that of that ilk in a way and the bake-off is an opportunity for advancing the craft to be part of the larger discussion. But when you start to think about the final nominees that are, you know, that are delivered post-bake-off to the actual award show, I think then the other elements kind of take over and it's really about story. Like it's the it's the branch that's voting for the achievement. And then I, I but, but so so no, I agree but, with you. I totally agree with you. If if it had been in this list. I think it would have been the dark horse that could have won the Oscar because it would just charm the tail off the rest of the academy. Uh, rest of the voters. But the reason I would mm -hmm. say that I think it actually has value, it has potential value as being something on the list from my perspective is that I actually would argue it does advance the craft in a, in a totally different way. It's not a corporate, you know, in the same way, like a giant corporation, like a huge company, yeah. a team of, you know, 700 mm -hmm. artists or whatever. It's a tiny team working with a very low budget and being extremely creative uh, and seeking and finding mm -hmm. creative solutions to problems that are not just visual problems and and story problems, but are also budgetary constraints and budgetary problems. Mm -hmm. And the and the thing that they arrive at is something that I think all visual effects artists and I think most people do really applaud the incredibly uh, like ingenious solutions of, you know, they don't have an LED wall, but they took two giant, you know, 75 inch or 85 inch TVs and, you know, synchronized what they had on the side and projected it to get the mm -hmm. interactive light on, uh, you know, one of the actors falling backwards yeah. or whatever. Well, and, and it's like stereotubes and all this stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, they, it was so creative and in that kind of creativity, I think is really the same spirit of ingenuity and uh, like a high level technical ingenuity of something like you see in Avatar. It's just of a totally different economic scale, mm -hmm. but I think it's still just as- Also, I would argue, also I would argue that Everything Everywhere is maybe the most aspirational film in the Oscars this year, because it is actually achievable. And that's, you know, usually the people say, I want to be on that stage one day because I've achieved something. The Daniels make it that you actually think you can do it, right? Because there's only a, there's only a few, there's only a Spielberg, there's only a Cameron, there's only a Villeneuve, there's only these Fincher, there's only these single Catherine Bigelow, you know, there's only these sort of single people that have elevated themselves to the Pantheon, and maybe the Daniels are on their way there. I mean, I know they're on their way there, but currently they're in the crowd. But you can look at that and go those are my dudes. Like, those are me. Those guys are me. Right. I mean, they're younger yeah. than me. No, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I you can look at true. them and say, that's aspirational. <laughs> like, I guess it's maybe how screenwriters felt when they saw <laughs> Ben Affleck and Matt Damon win 
this yeah. screenwriting award for, you know, I don't know what the budget hunting. was in that know. film, but I, I read somewhere that somebody said the budget was 25 million and the Daniels went, we wish we had 25 million. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. But, but any film that's like sub 25 million does seem, as you say, aspirational, like people can imagine getting that kind of funding to make, as opposed to Avatar, which is- Well, you know, getting clearly, 11 Oscar nominations out of it. That's the yeah. key. Right? The thing is though, okay, and I'm not just saying this, well, okay, the problem with Avatar is a little bit like you think, well, it's Cameron. He's made, you know, the biggest box office grossing film of all time mm -hmm. after having made previously the biggest boasting gross office film of all time, you know, <laughs> like, and like, you just look at his like run sheet and you're like, oh my God, he can do anything. And then you sort of think, well, they just threw money at the problem. But when you actually get into Avatar, like every time I talk to someone from Avatar, I learn some new stunningly brilliant, clever thing that they did that wasn't, you know, the obvious mega stuff that they were doing like with new faces. Like the one I discovered yesterday, maybe you guys knew about this and I didn't, right? Is that, and again, it's not cheap to implement it, but it's clever as all get out. Because the, you know, Navi are so much taller than a human, um, instead of putting a tennis ball on a stick or putting a thing on an actor's head that sat up above them, like a sort of a head rig that put up a tennis ball a foot above their head, they got an LED little screen, like a, you know, thing that you would put on the side of a camera that had the face of the actor delivering the line of the animated character. And that was on a fly by wires rig over the top of the motion capture actor. So wherever that person's face was meant to be in the actual room, the computer controlled thing would place it just like it does a camera over a football stadium, you know, spider like wire. A spider rig. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. So in the room, when the character spider is talking, um, uh, like the interrogation room, they're hovering above where the motion capture actor is, is the right actor's face delivering the lines so that he can, has got the right eye line and the right timing for the delivery of the lines. And he's acting to something, right? Now, admittedly, right. the acting is to a square box with a face on it, but you know, you make eye contact with it and you, mm -hmm. and I'm like, and so as it turns, sorry, it's the character's meant to turn, it turns, et cetera. And I'm like, well, that's just genius. And is it the most groundbreaking thing in the world? Like kind of sounds almost obvious after you say it, but somebody bothered to do it. And I'm like, that just totally yeah. solves that problem. And I'm like, every time, now it's not just that film. Um, there are lots of those sort of instances where you come across yeah. things in a film, but man, it's like, they didn't just burn money for money's sake. They were like coming up with stuff. Look, I kind of feel uh, like with uh, Cameron and the Avatar stuff, like I just feel like this was true the first time out. I think it's you know everything I've seen and read, you know, it's true, truer this time around. It's the Super Bowl of movies, you know. It's the Super Bowl of filmmaking. It's the Super Bowl of visual effects. I, like, I would agree with that. There's nothing quite like those projects on a technical level. I mean, they're they're just mm -hmm. they're insane, you know, and the efforts and the the push to develop new tools, technologies, techniques, you know, for all the stuff, motion capture stuff underwater. Like, I mean, it's nuts, but it's cool. It's, it's so exciting. And it is, you know, I think just from everything I've read this year and all the, all the films that are in contention, I just think if, if the bar is what you were talking about, Mike, like it's advancing the craft, like, I just don't know that anything comes close in terms of the sheer magnitude and quantity of um, no. 
innovation that's going on in that project. Look, here's the perfect metric. Here's the perfect metric. It's been 10 years between the two movies. I saw it today. I was blown away, but there's no way he spent 10 years on the script. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> that, says, that says it all. It's 10 years of tools to be able yeah. to make what I found to be, an in, and I saw it in 3D, RPX, high frame rate, the whole shebang. I was the only person in the theater. It was like I went to Hollywood and Cameron gave me my own screening and I was blown away by the film. The script, fine. Like I was engaged. It's a family movie. It's meant to, it's smartly written to, to actually, if someone went with a family of four, everyone in the family would identify with a specific character and one of their arcs and super smart. I, th I think fine. it's more international box Leave office that what it is, too, but I think. The generic well, nature yeah. of character and story. I think they're making more yeah. money because there's so many more theaters, you know, in mm -hmm. you know huge swaths of Asia. Yeah, and yeah. it just you know they're probably making the bulk of their money there. I think I they it had already gone over a billion dollars in just three D. Over two billion, I think I had yeah. read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of three D in. But but all I'm China. saying, just to finish my thought is. Mm. The, the visual effects, which are the film in this case, are, I mean, there's nothing, you, there's no comparison. The, the combination of live action, compositing, motion capture, high frame rate, lighting, everything together, like there is no equal currently to what he did in that movie. There will be uh, in other things, but the, the spectacle is so far beyond. And, and I think it worked for the story. You know, there's there, even though we can debate how good the script is or not, but for that script, those visual effects and this, the way he told the story are dead on. Joe Terry is up for his for me, 12th, this is his 12th Oscar nomination. Well, yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. I mean, there there is a vision of building assets. But here's the thing, and I have no basis other than guess, but if you look at Black Panther, um, where Weta has also uh, got um, Chris White nominated for the underwater stuff. The underwater stuff in that is astonishing and uh, in terms of technical. And when we were interviewing Chris uh, this week and, and congratulating him on the Oscar thing, and he was discussing the fact that they had ray tracing, obviously it's spectral because it's using Manuka, but not only did they have spectral response, but they could actually control the spectral response on each bounce of the ray. So on the ray going out from the light, it wouldn't get affected by the medium. And then after it bounces, it would get affected. Um, and on top of that, they had the underwater optical characteristics of the way that light uh, dissipates and is affected by water at every major ocean around the world, like the actual results, right? That's insane. Yeah, to, to reference. So they could be like, well, if you, you know, if it was here and this water, this is what it would look like. And if it was in this water, this is what it actually looked like. Now, of course, it isn't like that in reality because... As anyone that's ever dived knows, if you go down very far, everything goes blue and very dark. And it certainly was very deep uh, notionally at the uh, underwater empire or a uh, uh, Mayan type uh, empire that was in Wakanda forever. But the point is they, they had this brilliant ground truth. They had brilliant control for um, setting up the stuff and they're dry for wet and they're animated underwater sequences. It's just extraordinary. So is that a Black Panther win or is that 
Weta developing water for Avatar win? Or is that just John <laughs> well, and Terry it's, it's, going, I'm going to build good assets and then I can yeah. put them wherever they're needed? Well, yeah, it's, I think in the end, it's, you know, it's, it's project driven, but then within the individual uh, visual effects houses, it's team driven too. And so mm-hmm. the, you know, the technical achievement that maybe is, you know, a sort of simultaneous development that's happening across more than one project because they're seeing, you know, they've done the, they've got the scripts, they're doing the breakdowns, they're, you know, bidding on what they're going to be doing for what show. And they see an opportunity, you know, to take some of the tools they have and and amortize some of the team and put them to work to solve some of these difficult problems. And it, and it winds up bleeding across both films, you know, and I think that's, that's neither here nor there than that, you know, then the, in the end, you know, the, the award, the fact of the matter is like, it, it, this is just the, I feel like I said this last year too, but like the awards really, um, it is really arbitrary in the end, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's not really the award that goes to the, like the best achievement or the best film. It's like, no. it's kind of, it's so subjective in that regard. But, mm-hmm. but what I found really interesting looking at Joe's Academy nominations, like the 12, yeah, is he got, and I mean, he's won for some of these, right? But I'm just gonna talk about nominations. He got two for Lord of the Rings, as in two of the Lord of the Rings films, right? Then he got, oh, he had two for Avatar, the first one in 2009 and now. There were three uh, Apes films and another two Hobbit films, right? So he's getting nominated, not just for the film, but its sequel, or not just its sequel, but the sequel beyond that, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a really interesting thing to pull off because you'd think that if you're doing a film that has to be visually the same as one you've done before, that it would be hard to impress, right? Because it has to look like the previous film. And and I guess that's my question to you guys. With Avatar- But there's different set pieces. Yeah. No, no, I understand that. But with Avatar, like the focus is the Navi, like the actual characters in the film, right? How much did you think the characters in the film, like could you intercut in any way, shape or form any of the Avatar 2 characters into Avatar 1 or is they- is it just that you remember them looking the same? They actually technically don't look the same because if you make them look technically too different, they're not the same characters, right? So, you know, I mean? like you're sort of almost limited I mean, by the what they looked like 2009 to make what they look like in. I think you are. I think you are, but you could argue the same about Toy Story one through four. Like the yep. the characters look better. They don't change their design, but they look better each time because you have the ability to make them look better. I don't think they changed, like none of the characters looked different to me. I haven't seen Avatar 1 since the two times I saw it 10 years ago in the theaters when it came out. So I don't, my general impression is of the tone and the feel of the film and my general recollection of the characters, they all looked the same to me. You know, they, they looked, they just looked incredible. Like they just had, you know, they did a lot more close-ups. They did a lot, yeah. you know, a lot more things that we saw that Weta do with the Apes movies, you know, and with other films that they've done where you see, I mean, I think we all discussed Avatar 2 pushing, uh, allowed the tech that they had, Weta had made for Avatar 2 to be used for Apes instead, you know, uh, the forest work and some of the, uh, certainly the waterfall sequence and other things like that. Um, <clears throat> but 
yeah, I think I think you you of course try to make everything. I think it's more of maybe like a clarity issue. Like they just look better, they feel better. There's a there's a, a sort of a a feel to it that feels better. You know, like in this case, we didn't even talk about high frame rate. Um, mm. You know, the difference that the intercutting of twenty four and forty eight frames by a sh- in a sequence shots inside a sequence not an entire sequence like a saving private ryan where you're just going to jump into the battle at at what is ostensibly i was talking to my brother about this this morning this afternoon after i saw it and you could argue that saving private ryan is the first sort of commercial quote high frame rate look because of the sharp shutter and the nature of the split choice between obviously choosing a look for battle scenes and not. And I think it was the first time that everyone acknowledged a sharper shutter, even though it clearly been used before, but the way Spielberg and Kaminsky used it, I think it became the moment where you, it, it, it sort of caught her up, you know, uh, 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 captured everyone. Uh, I, I would say here is the same thing. They, they took, I had only seen high frame rate stuff like the Hobbit where the whole movie was high frame rate. And, and it seemed like Cameron comes more from the Trumbull sort of school of thought where you should be using it selectively on shots within a sequence based on your emotional need on that shot. And I felt that to be incredibly compelling for me, uh, sort of learning, training my brain throughout three and a half hours to get into that mindset of almost at midway in the movie feeling like the 24 frame shots that I would normally be gravitate to. I found myself saying to myself, Oh, why does that look so stuttery? Right. Because I, I feeling the high frame rate stuff. What did you think of the stereo? I thought, I think James Cameron is the best stereo composer currently because the shots I thought were incredible. I had like the glasses over these glasses so I could see. And I felt the same way with Avatar 1. The, his stereo composition is incredibly comfortable. Like even on handoffs between like shot reverse shots, you don't feel, there's, I didn't feel any eye strain. I didn't feel any like um, discomfort on the shots. And there's a shitload going on in that movie. And I, 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 I think it was good in the second and third acts. Or the it's just for me, yeah. Yeah, the first third though, there, I wasn't so was, comfortable with the. Maybe my eyes take got getting accustomed to it, but the first third of the movie didn't seem. I, as I would good. say, I would say the stuff that I had the biggest problem with was when there's more live action, like the whole Edie Falco section. There's a ton of live action there, and for me, that felt the like the weirdest of every for everything because there also feels there's more tons plainer. of depth cues and other things. It yeah. feels yeah. There's they're they're really working the depth cues in these things and because you have a human character so close to you mm-hmm. it like i don't know that, that i agree with you mike and but there's also the there's also the like learning curve your brain and your eyes take in the first you know 30 minutes to be like okay what's happening whoa this is crazy you know i'm probably um, the odd man out here in the box office globally would suggest that i'm i'm like the geezer like old man yells at cloud but you know i I have the 3D is just like to me, it's in the high frame rate. And I just, I could care less about both. It's, I don't find it 
interesting visually. I don't find it pleasing as an experience. Like I'd rather just watch it in 2D. Like I got the a code to to watch I mean, it. You you can. Know, at home as a screener. Well, no, I, but we went like, I was like, all right, I want to experience it the way that, you know, yeah. they want me to watch it. So mm -hmm. we went and saw it that way. And, you know, afterwards, I, the next day, I think I got the screener code to watch it just on my TV in 2D. And I thought, well, okay, I'm, maybe I'll watch it, at, you know, parts of it at least again. And God, it was so much better. I thought in 2D, <laughs> you know, it just hey, seems like it works so much better. Something else that I thought was really interesting I learned the other day about the Batman changing the subject is mm. um, uh, just Jason sort of appealing to you. I don't want to talk about it because it's like such a camera thing. They were talking about the tracking and we've got into this whole discussion about how to how complicated it was to track that sequence that we were discussing before with the chase, especially as it was all pretty much dry, relatively speaking. There wasn't any real rain in that chase sequence that was all added in post. So they wanted to, you know, have stuff coming up from the wheels. They wanted to have stuff bumping off the cars and in front of the headlights. But in some shots, there were like tons and tons and tons of cars. And so they tracked the main Batmobile because they had the, you know, scans of it and everything else. But some of the back ones, they used what they described as a digital clown car, which was a car that would just bend to whatever shape kind of worked to get the headlights in the right place yeah. and the wheels in the right place <laughs> so they could do a phantom object to bounce stuff off. Okay, so that was that. I kind of yeah, you get that right. But then they were discussing, which I thought was interesting. As I was at the Bake Off, and I think I mentioned before, they think that they got uh, glass filters and they covered it with silica, and then they put those in front of the camera. I want to say they, Greg, did that, and so he got these amazing flares and stuff, as if the lens was kind of wet from this silica right. on a glass filter sitting in front of the actual camera, and that led to something that I hadn't noticed, but makes perfect sense if you actually look at that sequence. They tracked that subframe because when they did the motion blur, they didn't want the motion blur lines to be straight lines between the last time that they tracked the object and the new point. So if you think about a curve for a second, if you have a curve and it's fast moving action and you sample it four times for four frames, then you're going to get straight lines between those four points on the arc, mm -hmm. right? which means all your motion blur yeah. lines will be straight lines. But in fact, when the shutter is open for that, 48th of a second on a film camera and the thing is shaking and moving, the blur lines aren't straight lines. They're like curved or no, they're they're, like whatever. Yeah. And so they did like subframe. Exactly. They did subframe tracking so that all their motion blurs had this really gorgeous, uh, realistic, uh, not, as you say, spaghetti motion blurs. And I, I loved hearing that because it's like, well, yeah, once somebody says that, it seems again, bleedingly obvious, right? Up until mm -hmm. that point, I was like, I wouldn't even occurred to me. I don't know. Is that something you were kind of aware of? Or no, I didn't even realize there was digital rain in that sequence. I was like, man, okay. it must have been wet that whole sequence. It's, I mean, it's beautifully done. But you know, I'm talking uh, about with the, the the motion blurs, right? Yeah, yeah. No, Getting I mean, those the, kind of like, the, yeah. It, it as you were saying it, it reminded me of our conversation about Logan when they did the stabilization of the motion, like the Easy Rig with. Uh, um, what's his name? Mangold, like shaking, trying to get the camera to shake while the operator's trying to hold it still. So if you were to watch the frame, it would be like all over the place, but then they just stabilized it. But all the motion blurs printed on the frame. So if you just stabilize it on Logan, then everything else is smeary. And it's the, I think you had mentioned that, Mike, on the podcast when we did it, and it made so much sense. You're like, okay, yeah, that's the obvious way that's like i mean you're committing to the motion blur 
but it's real. It's in camera and all those spaghettis, you know, uh, uh, lines are happening in whatever way the camera is randomly happening on set. And again, it seems lo-fi, but it's actually the logical, it's the logical solve. Well, let's say it's lo-fi, except for Matt, let's think about this for a second, because now you had to put digital shots in that intercut with the, so you've got to match mm -hmm. the, the silica motion, like the, the flares, the blurs, the everything. And you have to intercut with that live action. I mean, the optical kind of characteristics. Oh, and that was the other thing I was going to mention to you, Jason. They detuned a lot of the lenses. So they were yeah. deliberately soft at the edges and like mm -hmm. screwed up. But anyway, Matt, that's got to be like- I think they shot the like... Helios or something a lot on that thing, which is like an old <laughs> Russian, like crappy 58 mil lens or whatever. But I mean, we kind of skip over some of these jobs, Matt, that are like, you know, tracking or for that matter, like, you know, sort of doing some of these sort of technical things so that you can, for the big effects, right? But like getting that stuff to work is incredibly hard and incredibly valuable. Well, and it's interesting to think about, you know, the way you describe in particular that technique in the Batman, how, you know, it really runs up where, you know, you're dealing with cinematography and visual effects really like coming so close together. They're sort of being woven together in the technique that's being utilized. And, you know, when you're describing the idea of putting silica, you know, directly on the the filter over the lens, you know, to create that look, it's, it makes me think, well, that's, that's really cinematography. But then, you know, I, I was looking and like, oh, Greg Frazier's not nominated for cinematography for that film. <laughs> Interesting. But, but it becomes, mm -hmm. uh, but it becomes a visual effects thing in the way that you're describing too. So, you know, I think that's actually pretty exciting as, you know, a kind of pushing the medium, you know, like, uh, into new territory, like trying things like that and doing things that are, um, maybe, they're 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 you're using visual effects to push the cinematography in a different way than you might have uh, without, and that's a really exciting use of visual effects to start to explore those that world of possibilities. I mean, in some ways, you could say like, well, it's always kind of connected to cinematography, which it is. But I think what you're describing oh. specifically is is unique. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really nice about this stuff is that we're not talking about post. Like in right. these films, we are not talking about an unequal partner at the table. We're talking about these nominated people being collaborative contributors right up front, but in a totally appropriate way. And as you say, I mean, we could discuss, uh, pick any of these films, right? Like uh, Black Panther, like the set design, the production value, the art direction, the production design, mm -hmm. like it's spectacular. But that, of course move seamlessly between the physical and the yeah. the digital, right? Isn't it marvelous that we've kind of got to that point where it isn't visual effects is over by craft services and they turn around every once in a while and say, will that work? And the person kind of gulps down what they're eating and goes, yep, yep, no, that should be fine. <laughs> and then, do you know what I mean? Like there's no sense of these, mm -hmm. these nominated films that somebody went, yep, well, that's how they shot it. Well, we've but definitely we moved past it all. that. Right. We've moved past that universe, I think. Mm -hmm. Like that would that would be very unusual these days, given the fact that like, yeah, visual effects really are in everything. Yeah. It's crucial I mean, it's, to the success of all of really all of these films. You know, you couldn't make any yeah. of these without the team effort. I mean, you see the you know, uh Avatar two is shot by Russell Carpenter. Like, you know, he's 
he's work. I mean, he shot Titanic. I mean, he's shot a lot of Cameron films, but uh, and others. But you know, in that case, much like Deakins was a was the um, consultant on Rango and things like that. You know, you you have um, a cinematographer working with the visual effects department to probably talk about flares, lighting, lens, you know, uh, uh, lighting sources, um, how, you know, where they're coming from. I mean, the shot at the, near the end of the third act of Avatar, when, spoiler alert, one of uh, their kids gets killed and they're on the rock, like having their moment. And there's a reverse on the family with the kid kind of his head in the foreground and the family emotional lit by fire from the wreckage behind the camera. And then off in the sky is the faint edge of the eclipse. Like there's some insane shots in Avatar from a cinematography standpoint, even though two thirds of the things or maybe everything in that shot is fake, fake CG rather, you know, not not photographed um, virtual cameras. No, no, I think Spider was in that shot, right? Oh, right. Yeah. So spiders in the shot and, and some of the water is real you know, motion capture <laughs> actors. Yes. But so that being said, you know, to, to, to your point, there is an awful lot of cinematography happening in that shot that the DP must be involved in. It's not, I think it's nice you know, that it's a collaborative. You don't, yeah. And I, I, you just get the sense that there's not an attitude of the boffins will fix it later or the, you know, like they'll just do their yeah. stuff later and it's all like Greek to me. I find what's really interesting is just how technically literate some of these uh, cinematographers and production designers are, right? Like um, we talk to people these days and they're like, well, we did, you know, the design of the props with exactly the same tools that they did, uh, you know, for the film so that we could move seamlessly between a physical prop and a digital prop and back again. And it's not like the art department is technically literate. It's not like the cinematography department isn't incredibly, you know, keen in case of the Batman and stuff to embrace that technology um, to make it work. Now, I don't think that takes anything away from visual effects. I think it enhances it as a as a craft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like we're not the well, only. There's a commonality in the language. Yeah. But I'm going to say, but we're yeah. not the only people. There's a commonality. We uh, mm-hmm. just, you know part of that process if we're lucky, um, uh, which is, again, why I had a little bit of a problem with how Top Gun was being marketed was this like all in camera thing. I have nothing against Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise has done an amazing job and it seriously puts himself on the line. But, you know, by the same token, like uh, I don't, I really push back on anything that panders to this idea that it's somehow better to get something in camera as opposed to what is the best way to get the shot. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I would say the only I, film. Yeah, I was just going to say I appreciate no, that that sentiment, and I and I I really I know a lot of my visual effects uh, brothers and sisters of years gone by. You know, they really get bent out of shape when they say that. But I, I guess I I think there's also something uh, nice about the quiet. Uh, you know, toiling in the dark. You know, like getting your work done and and uh, people not. Uh, people just buying that that it's that way, and when it's not, and you know that it isn't. Like, I think it's just. I, I always feel like it's enough to know the truth. You know, even if uh, the marketing departments sell it in another way, it's like, who cares? You know, <laughs> I don't know. To I me, I just say, feel like it's not that big a deal. 
Yeah, I will. I will say because I was a bit rude before about all quote on the Western Front with the fog, but I will say that like some of the tasks given to visual effects in that film, and one of them was articulated really well. I heard which was to make it sound like it was a vast battlefield that was claustrophobic. Yeah, and they had to make this sense that it was mm -hmm. huge, but it was incredibly isolating, uh, and yet also so impersonal and intense, and uh, and you know, crowding in on you. Uh, and they did a lot of that with the visual effects and it like converted what was very good cinematography, but you know, you clearly can't, I mean, they built large, obviously, uh, sets, but they, they made it feel that way from a combination of the cinematography and the visual effects with the volumetrics mm -hmm. and the clouds. And of course, all the other elements. And when you see those, uh, machines of war, those tanks coming out of the mist in that film, I mean, it is horrendous. And I think, I think the other thing that makes the visual effects on All Quiet on the Western Front, something that's worthy of mentioning here. Maybe you could point this at Maverick, but it's it's based on re on a reality that that is needs to be kind of respectful to history. Yeah, like you can't mm -hmm. put All Quiet on the Western Front in and have, you know, sort of magic or, uh, you know, impossible things happening um, because it's an incredibly well understood. Uh, so even though I know the First World War and I've seen lots of war films, like I thought there was breathtakingly stark images of that that almost educated me more, but it did feel incredibly authentic in a way that that film had to be. Yeah. And I think that's Although it's a another... travesty that they they uh, they changed the end of the book slightly in a way that I thought was lost some impact for me. <laughs> He's supposed to climb up and he gets shot okay, in so the I, head I confess after all his friends die. To... He gets shot in the head in the in the book and oh, in, okay. the, in the movie it's like kind of way more cinematic like this kind of christ-like death you know and it's i think that was that was too much <laughs> okay but that isn't a historical kind of like that's like a well that's a, a historical literary reference book. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, but it's i acknowledge it's not true to source it's off uh canon but it's yeah. but that's also a director's decision not a not a not a tank that was changed or something i guess that's what i'm saying is like you could to a certain to your extent point mike yeah. that's true with maverick like obviously the uh you know the way that the um navy works with the uh marine aviators and stuff but nevertheless there's a lot more kind of stuff where i'm like yeah does that i don't know if that would be how it would actually be uh but yeah i think there's an owner a real uh weight given to any visual effects team that has to do something that's absolutely historically accurate and that the incident matters and i go back to 13 lives which i thought was really good but that was so recent in living memory um and managed to pull off astonishing stuff given they only had six i think it was six water tanks they never actually went to any caves um and you know ron howard very very good director but again the visual effects team there you know couldn't make it look cooler they had to make it what it was and then make it as real as possible and i think for any visual effects team mm -hmm. that's doing that they in our criteria of why a film should get an oscar i guess that was one we sort of skipped over that i I realize now I was remiss in not mentioning because that is a, an important criteria for an audience. So, yeah. So I would also argue that based on the, well, based on the previous comment you made about, you know, visual effects, not languishing and the dark and all that kind of stuff, probably the only film that actually has a, a viewpoint on that directly is Nope. <laughs> right. Like it actually has a, has a direct sort of commentary about visual effects 
in in even self-referential in a sense, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. But I'm going to have to call your votes now. So uh, I'm going to say I think Avatar is going to get the uh, the award. Some people think it'll be Maverick because it basically proved that theatres weren't dead. But I think the Academy will acknowledge the enormity. And also I think the team that's marketing Avatar has been very clever in promoting how much the performance of the original actors was maintained and the respect that they're showing to the actors will be reflected in the fact that actors won't you know feel like mm -hmm. it was a, an animated feature effectively so my vote's avatar jason what's yours is it avatar i think it's avatar but also because catherine bigelow doesn't have a movie in the oscars this year <laughs> <laughs> matt what's your Sorry. vote it's a 10-year-old I mean, joke, but I had to go for it. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I think Avatar is the clear uh, front runner. I would just say, you know, personally, I, I would love to see uh, Wakanda Forever win just because Craig Hammock is my old office mate from my time at ILM, and Chris White is is a friend and such a cool dude. Also, the Batman, Russell Earl, a great ILMer, and Dan Lemon, a great mm -hmm. uh, Wedian. <laughs> and... um. And then, of course, Joe Letary. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, I just think Avatar is going to win, but it would be fun to see one of those other uh, films win just to, you know, see some of the, the. I guess now they're not that young, but the guys who were the younger guys, you know, get a, an opportunity <laughs> to step up. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, like you said, Mike, either Top Gun or uh, All Quiet, you know, as a sort of sleeper um, film that, you know, people decide that's the one they want to give it to just you know to sort of stick their thumb in the face of the bombast or something you I know it's like it would be interesting I, yeah. you know i think if they didn't go to avatar i think they'd be doing it because they thought that it just had as much money as it need could possibly yeah. have needed to do yeah. whatever it wanted you could and, see that blowback and then but i don't agree with that i i actually think that it it didn't just waste money it put money on the screen in no. innovative ways so i think it's worthwhile okay well that's Wait, our can lock. We, can we can we pick the best picture winner though? Do okay, you have one? Sure. I wasn't prepared for best picture. Um, what are the what are the five or ten? There's ten. ten. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking, which I haven't seen that one. But I'm seeing The Fablemans tonight. So I can't comment on that, but I would say that I hope that it's everything everywhere all at once. And I feel it's got momentum. And I think that the actors in it mm -hmm. are going to win in their acting categories because people just love those actors and how those actors have been responding to the nominations and how those yeah. actors mm -hmm. have been uh, responding to the media. It, just, you just want them to win to see them joyously get up and accept their Oscars, right? So that'd be mine. Yeah. I mean, I would say the same. I, I mean, I loved Tar. Uh, yeah, I didn't see Fablemans, but I, I feel like you know, my brother was not a fan of it and thought it was, you know, Spielberg's only getting nominated because he's Spielberg and it's his movie about himself. Oh, actually, like, I, oh, I think it's great. so great. I love the Fablemans. I, I yeah. feel like you should. I haven't likes, seen it, so I can't. You like I'm, I'm going to see it tonight. So you have to watch yeah. it because it's Spielberg. Making no, I know. A classic Spielberg movie, but it's the only time he's ever made a movie that he strips away all the veneer and all the tropes that you've seen in every Spielberg movie are still there, mm -hmm. but you kind of get a sense of why they're there. And there's one moment in the movie that I won't spoil for you, Mike, but that is 
we'll have to talk about it another time, but it's just so okay. cool. Something that's totally out of like, it's, it's kind of a surreal moment that was really powerful. I thought, but yeah, yeah I, I think but um, I would say, but I'll say everything everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably say that would be the, the most fun one to see when, but the best movie of the year once it nominated. Which was the Charlotte Wells movie after sun. I don't know if anybody saw that, but so good. Oh, okay. my brother saw that. I haven't what? seen it yet. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard good things. That's a chat for another day. Um, yeah. Guys, thanks so much for, uh, for everything today. Um, Jason, where can people follow up, connect? And don't forget, you owe uh, me a freaking interview about your uh, I, virtual production. Next world. week. Yeah, yeah, we're doing next week. Uh, uh, well, so zerospace.co is a virtual production stage and other things. And uh, just Jason Diamond, anywhere you can find the name Jason Diamond. Just before we cross to you, Matt, we're going to do this story with Jason about the state of uh, LED screens and uh, their use in visual effects and his impressions on the industry as a uh, an owner-operator of a stage in New York, one of the few stages in New York. So that's coming up on FX Guide. But Matt, where can people, uh, though I know you're overworked, um, yeah. hunt you down and, uh, and follow up? I'm at work all the time these days uh, at Virginia Commonwealth University in the School of the Arts uh, in Richmond, Virginia. But I'm also now, I'm no longer on Twitter, but I'm on Mastodon, uh, which is, it's at Matt Wallen at C.im. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Uh, can Matt I ask Wallen quickly? Uh, if, what? What's, oh, what's the, it's at, at Matt Wallen and then it's yeah. at, at C. Dot I am just the letter okay. C and then dot I am for I, I am is the Isle of Man. I found out. I didn't know that when I chose mm. that instance of, uh, <laughs> of the federated universe of Mastodon, but I am uh, following you right now. I'm uh, following I'm, you. Can I, can I ask? Yep. Can I ask if Ty did any, uh, chip or anything designs for avatar Two? He didn't, but they reused uh, both the uh, amp suit thing that he designed mm -hmm. and the um, the big uh, yeah the chopper, the big ship, and the little the little helicopters. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I mean, the, several of his designs are repurposed uh, and reused yeah. in that, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, I'm obviously an FX guy, but also uh, having uh, moved Mastodon, I'm at Mike Seymour at Mastodon dot au. Uh, so yeah, it'd be good to have you guys join us uh, on there. I'm still publishing a little bit on Twitter just for those that are following on Twitter, but um, obviously there are certain ethical and other reasons why uh, some of us are moving away. So if you want to follow us on that, please, uh, please do. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We've got some great stuff coming up this year. The um, Mandalorian's returning. There's like a, a kind of bunch of good stuff coming up. Some stuff that I don't know if I even want to see, but I probably will. I mean, do we want to see any more... Uh, Ant-Man in various forms of, uh, you know, weird uh, and I, wonderful sci-fi. I just want to see, I just want to see MODOK. I just want to see how they do MODOK. Okay. Guardians of the anyway, Galaxy 3, I'll go see that. Guardian Galaxy yeah. the 3, yep. Some really good stuff happening. So all of that coming up later in the year. But for now, thanks so much for being with us, guys. See ya. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thefx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.